Uh, as far as we know, that's, that hasn't happened. And that's, that, we can thank the Lord for that because that's our goal is moving forward. Our goal is not to keep everybody perfectly healthy at all times. We've got folks uh, within our body that are staying home right now because someone in their family or someone they've been close to has gotten sick or, and they're trying to protect us. So uh, the folks that are here, I think uh, the measures that we're taking, I realize they are um, measured uh, but not fearful. Uh, just trying to be careful and wise as we move forward uh, so that we can continue moving toward some version, our new version of normalcy. So appreciate y'all being here this morning. For those who aren't here this morning, I know there's all kinds of reasons that you may not be here. Um, it, they may be this. They may be a fear of your kid being a distraction. And I totally get that. I, I, when I was in college, uh, if I was going to be five minutes late for a class, I just didn't go. I just, I, this overwhelming fear of interrupting anyone that is inordinate in my case. So, and some of you can relate to that, this fear of disruption. Uh, just know that we have lots of margin for that, lots and lots of margin. And at our member meeting this afternoon, and probably in the coming days, I'll probably send out an, a, a little video encouragement to our, our body and to those who might be visiting with us, how to maybe reframe those concerns and how maybe even to reframe what we're doing on Sunday mornings, what is actually taking place here and what uh, you might consider as you're making those decisions from week to week. Uh, let's go ahead and um, go to the Lord in prayer. Um, this morning, I want to make sure that uh, we spend proper time in prayer asking Him to condition these few minutes that we have together, that our hearts are sensitive and tuned in, uh, that we ask and invite the Holy Spirit into this moment and ask Him to speak to us and equip us so we're going to spend a few minutes praying along those lines. We're also going to pray for another church in our community, uh, Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, Travis Chapel um, is the pastor there. Uh, we're going to pray for the people group of Lodha people of the India, 6.8 million strong, 0.03% of which are Christian. We are each week praying through the least reached people groups in our world. So we're going to lift up this people group as we pray for uh, Fellowship Bible Church as well and for how we spend this time. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just give us um, pause right now that we can all together collectively exhale knowing that we are sitting at your feet for a few minutes. We are enjoying you for a few minutes in song and supper and fellowship and sermon. Lord, I pray in these few minutes that we will recognize that we've been with you and with your people and that we will understand and appreciate and maybe even sense that in that we experience change and growth. Lord, we entrust these few minutes to you and ask you to do something wonderful to us and through us as a result. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for another church in our community and praying for Fellowship Bible Church, for Travis Chapel. For his family, Lord, we want to lift up Travis and just thank you for bringing him to Greenville, for landing them here and to be a shepherd of the people out at the Fellowship Bible Church. We want to ask you to bless him, Lord, to bless his family. I pray that his family has a front row seat to worship and faith and that he is fueled by worship as he's going about the work of shepherding the people there. We pray for Fellowship Bible Church, Lord, for the membership there and for those who may be visiting there. Lord, that you would equip the saints, um, that you would do wonderful things in and through them, that 
they would be a salty, bright, aromatic people in this community between Sundays. That they would mobilize at noon and engage neighbors, friends, workmates, um, family members, all of the above in faith. Or that they would, would have a difficult time staying silent as a result of the time that they're spending together in the Word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would bless their moving and discipleship and their making disciples. That you would just grow your kingdom through the ministry of Fellowship Bible Church. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for the Lodha people of India. Lord, a massive people group that most of which don't know you, Lord. First of all, we want to pray for those who do know you. That you would give them a boldness. Um, that you would give them a burden. That you would mobilize them in conversation, even possibly a great cost to their place in life and their, even that maybe their life in general, Lord. Just pray that you would give them courage as men and women of sincerity to speak in Christ. Lord, for those who don't know you in this people group, massive, massive number of people, Lord, we ask that you would draw those people to you. Or we ask that you would send workers to this far corners and that they would speak in Christ and that you would draw this people to you and hasten your son's return. Lord, we turn these few minutes over to you and we're thankful, so thankful for this time. Praying these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. So I got an email this morning. Um, this is my one-year Clark's anniversary. Clark's is a shoe company. They sell shoes. I, I'm wearing Clark's right now. Um, turns out I get 15% off today. It's a pretty big deal. I don't know that y'all are taking this seriously. This is a, this is a big day. It was a, apparently a year ago today, a Friday, I looked back at where I would have been on the, what is it, the 18th or something like that today? Yeah, the 18th. It was a Friday in 2019, and I must have been online surfing for a new set of shoes, a new pair of shoes. So this is a special day. I, I, I have a problem. I, I, you know, I've kind of figured out that my number of shoes that I can have where I'm completely satisfied is N plus one, with N being the number that I have right now. The same is true of bicycles, the same is true of guns, the same is true of knives, the same is true of watches. That's my thing. I wonder if y'all may have some things that you need in plus one to be truly satisfied. I wonder if there's really anybody in this room that's completely satisfied with what you have at this very moment. And aren't maybe in some way thinking about, man, I'm, once I get that set of tires... Once I get those rims, once I get that guitar, once I get that bow tie, y'all know there's only one person I could be talking about with that. He's not even here. Bummer. Man, all the things I'm thinking about that people think about and go after that car, those countertops, that house, I'm. This sermon is timely for Ben McGraw. And I'm betting that it's timely for every person in this room because we all have to deal with this thing called stuff. So if you would, stand with me and let's go to the Lord, the reading of His Word. 
Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lord, speak to us through these living words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a seat. I want to give you a kind of a bird's eye view of this passage. The first few verses are familiar if you were here last week. Preached from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 on the two treasures. The treasures on earth are the treasures in heaven. And if you were here last week, you realize that the way we dealt with those last week is they point backwards to the righteous practices section. The section that begins in chapter 6 that deals with giving to the needy and the poor and deals with fasting and deals with prayer. We dealt last week with that being a conclusion to that section. And this week I want to introduce the thought that it's also the introduction to the next section. These verses, verses 19 through 21, the first part of what we just read, serve double duty. The exceeding righteousness section that we're in right here, this entire message shifts in these passages before us from practices in the world to now things of the world. You had to know this was coming. Even if you didn't read ahead, you had to know that if Jesus is going to talk about what life looks like in following him, that at some point he's going to deal with stuff because those issues are not completely unrelated. Following Christ and how we relate to and deal with stuff are connected. Verses 22 and 23, that's sort of the center section of what I just read here. It's a really strange passage. If you were paying attention and maybe you've read ahead and prepared for this morning, maybe verses 22 and 23, you were scratching your head or what in the world is actually being said there? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is a very strange passage. And it's not easily sorted out. There are people that have spent quite a bit of time trying to make sense of whether this eye is being identified here as something that gives off light, which is called extromission, or if the eye is gathering light, it's called intromission. We're not going to give two minutes to that. We're not going to give 30 seconds to that this morning because that's not the point of the passage. We're not talking ophthalmology this morning, optometry, all those things. We're talking about exposing the passage at the, the central meaning. Verse 24 is a passage that sort of sums up this section. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What's brought out here is really this ultimatum. You're either going to serve God or mammon faithfully. You can't do both faithfully. You can't be devoted to both. You can't faithfully serve both. And if you try to do that, you're going to end up serving one or the other. 
So, so far in this passage, just what we've read this morning, we're dealing with two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. This passage is so simple. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep it simple in these next few minutes. Really, this whole section is about two ways of being in the world. You could sort of summarize the entire Sermon on the Mount as two ways of being in the world. He presents one and the other throughout. Two ways of being in the world. So the bird's eye view of this passage, verses 19 through 24, is pretty straightforward. It's simple. We're not going to do anything crazy this morning. We're going to keep it simple. But we're going to start and really expose verses 22 through 23 to try and make sense of all of this. The key is this strange passage that I pointed out that's right in the middle that has to do with the eyes. This is the key to understanding what Christ is calling his followers to do, both 2,000 years ago and through this living message today in 2020. Okay, so we're going to spend most of our time this morning in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? There's a contrast in this passage. The healthy eye, using the words that's used here in our translation, versus the bad eye. A little bit of Greek to kind of acquaint you with this. We're going to climb into this just for a moment, not in an academic sense, but in a way where you can begin to differentiate between these two. The healthy eye, the word there in Greek is haplous. It means singular. The singular eye is the healthy eye. Haplous ophthalmos. And that's contrasted with porneo ophthalmos, the evil or bad eye. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is going to be a key passage for us this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 15. I'll give you a second to turn there. I'm going to share a couple of passages with you in Proverbs as you're turning there. Proverbs has a nice contrast between these two kinds of eyes, the healthy eye and the evil eye, or the bad eye. Here are a few little snapshots. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, you may jot these down and look at these later. Whoever has a bountiful eye, okay, that means verbatim in the Hebrew. Uh, there's a little note down at the bottom, bottom of my page that, that, that identifies it as the good eye. Whoever has the good or bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. That's the good eye, contrasted with the bad eye. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 6, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, verbatim in the Hebrew, who has an evil eye. The translation calls it rightfully stingy. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, who has an evil eye. Do not desire his delicacies. And later in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 22, a stingy man, a man with an evil eye, hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. This is just sort of kind of give you a little bit of a conditioning to where we're likely going in Deuteronomy chapter 15. If the evil eye sounds like it's stingy, and the healthy, good, singular eye sounds like it's generous. If you captured those so far, you're ready for us to climb into Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let's look beginning in verse 7. 
If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Now I want to just call your attention to some anatomy as we're moving through this passage. I want you to look for the body parts that are connected here. Heart and hand so far. Pay attention to the pit, to the to the elements of what unfold in these passages. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly. In the original Hebrew, it's the eye look evil. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the porneos ophthalmos verbatim. The seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Let me give you a little sense of what's going on in this passage. You might have actually looked across the page or at the beginning of this heading in chapter 15, the sabbatical year. This is a pretty special year in the life of Israel. This is a time where all loans, all debts are wiped clean. Okay, so I want you to imagine that you have a friend or a family member or an acquaintance, maybe someone you work with that comes to you and asks for some money, asks you to lend them $1,000. Let's make it a substantial lend. They're going to ask you to lend you $1,000 or ask you to lend them $1,000. And you know that a week later, all debts and all loans are going to be wiped clean. That's what this is like right here. And that's the begrudging look that he's talking about. The kind of things that you might be thinking as someone asks for a loan or someone has a need in the time, the short time leading up to a Sabbath year. And what's going on in this passage is the heart is hardened and the hand is shut, contrasted with an open hand and an implied soft heart. And then an unworthy thought of verse 9. Can you all imagine what that unworthy thought might be like? We personalized it a minute ago for somebody to ask for $1,000 from you a week before all debts and loans are forgiven. I would have a few thoughts there. I would have the thought that, first of all, I'm not going to be a chump. That's not fair. That's not cool. That's not just. I'm not going to make you a loan. Let's just call it a give because you know you're not going to pay me back. It would probably bother me more than anything. Okay, I bet some of you could identify with some of those thoughts. I'm not going to be a chump. That's not fair. That's not cool. What's behind those thoughts, though, what the Lord brings out in here in Deuteronomy is the realization what's ultimately behind those thoughts is greed. That evil thought, that begrudging thought, that unworthy thought that's behind this is ultimately greed. And it shows up in the evil look, that porneos, aphamos, that evil look, that begrudging look, 
is not fitting considering what surrounds this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15. That's why I wanted to camp out here for a few minutes. This is charge. Don't have this unworthy thought. Don't have this evil eye, this grudging eye, considering what's surrounding that passage and that charge to care for the poor. Let's look at a few passages surrounding it, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. That's the first thing. Because the Lord's release has been proclaimed, it's not fitting that we have an unworthy thought. It's not fitting that the people of God should have an evil eye. Let's see what happens next in verse 4. There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land, and the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. That's the second couple things I want us to draw up. The first thing is, the Lord's release has been proclaimed. And here's the second thing in verse 4. The Lord will bless you. The Lord your God is giving you an inheritance of the land. That's why we're not going to have an evil thought or an evil eye, or a begrudging look. Look down in verse 5. If you will only strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as He promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. There it is again, verse 6. For the Lord your God will bless you. Look down the page and let's capture some following passages beginning verse 12. Let's see what happens after the section we read first. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. In the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. When you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress, as the Lord your God has blessed you. You see a pattern emerging? You see the pattern emerging surrounding this charge not to have this evil eye or this begrudging look, this refrain, as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. An evil look, a begrudging look, an evil eye, a a, a response of greed is not fitting considering what is surrounding that charge. The Lord has proclaimed release. The Lord has blessed you. The Lord is giving you an inheritance of the land. The Lord has blessed you, yet again, as He promised to do. The Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were once a slave, but He redeemed you. That's why the evil eye and the begrudging look is not fitting. He said the eye and the heart and the hand should be blessing conditioned. The heart, the hand, and the response to that person, even knowing that you'll probably not get paid back, is a response that should be blessing conditioned and redemption conditioned. How could I not respond this way? For my God has so blessed me My God has redeemed me. An open hand, a soft heart, 
giving freely with a generous eye. The charge back there in Deuteronomy is a charge to the people of God of how to move in light of God and what He's done for them. And the charge here on the Sermon on the Mount is sort of a refrain. This is how you move as the people of God given what God has done. You can have that healthy, generous eye, that singular eye, He calls it. Or you may have the evil eye, poneros, ophthalmos. I'd like to think that this took hold of the people of God in Deuteronomy and this characterized them for the next few thousand years, but sadly it didn't. Fast forward 2,000 years later, part of one, a large part of what sent them into exile was their treatment of the poor. Man, the prophets call it like, they, like, like it is, don't they? And they use some graphic language and some graphic imagery to show it like it is. Amos chapter 4 is something you can, write, you, can, you can jot down and you consider. Right now, I would like for you to turn over to Matthew chapter 20. And as you're turning there, I'm going to share this passage with you from Amos chapter 4. This blessed people. This people that received an inheritance from the Lord. This people that had been redeemed. This people that had been commanded to care for the poor. Here's the character of this people in Amos chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Did God call through Amos the wives of Israel cows? Yes, He did. He absolutely did. Hear this, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Man, can you envision that? Bring me the head of a pig. Probably not a pig. Bring me a goblet of something cool and refreshing. The cows of Bashan. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. There's a graphic, graphic picture here of a blessed people who... 1,200 years after they're commanded to move in a way that He tells them to move in light of what God has done for them, they're greedy. Greedy. Well-fed, well-provided for, but they're greedy and they're ready for slaughter. That is a graphic image of the greed among the people of God. It's not in keeping with who they were as a blessed people. Fast forward to chapter 20. The tradition of the nation of Israel at that point, which would be some 800 years later, Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now watch what unfolds here. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius, a day's wage, though they just started at the eleventh hour. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've given them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you look on this literally in the Greek with an evil eye? So the last will be first and the first will be last. There's so much meaning to this passage. Don't think about it like a bunch of Western individuals. I want you to think about what's going on here. He's pointing to the response of the Pharisees and the religious community at that point at the thought of him visiting with tax collectors and sinners and the notion of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes coming into the kingdom. This will later have application when the Gentiles are invited into this kingdom at the 11th hour and they get the same wage as those who've borne the heat of the day. It's a shocking moment and it's a moment where we might respond and say, that's not fair. It's not cool that you would ask me for a loan a day before, a week before, a year before, debts are all forgiven. That's not cool that he gets the same wage when he starts at the end of the day, when I started at the beginning. And what's going on behind that evil eye and that begrudging, unworthy thought? It is greed. And the people of God from the point of 1,500 years before Christ, where that law was given, where we considered in Deuteronomy, to 1,200 years later in the time of Amos, they were greedy and entitled. And at the time of Christ, they were still greedy and entitled. Man, it's a human problem. We're not picking on Israel. It is a human problem. So the contrast here in the Sermon on the Mount is either two treasures, one heavenly, one earthly, Two masters or two eyes. Which eye will you have? Singular and generous or evil and begrudging? I think it's an important point to bring out at this point. It's really, we're going to have a little gospel celebration in the middle of this sermon. We're actually getting toward the application point of the sermon, but we're not going to take, uh, we're not going to pass up an opportunity to consider a gospel celebration right embedded right in the middle of this passage. It's important that, I don't know if you noticed this, but the distinguishing character of these two things, this healthy eye, this singular eye versus the evil eye, the opposite, if you were to consider those, ophthalmos haplus versus porneo ophthalmos. The opposite of evil is singular. And the message in the Sermon on the Mount is a singular message. It is a message about whole person following, whole person righteousness, whole person following Christ, whole person faith, not whitewashed on the outside and dead on the inside. Not virtuous on the outside, but seething with murderous hate on the inside. Not virtuous on the outside, but lusting on the inside. But whole person, singular righteousness. 
Notice the opposite of the evil eye is the singular eye. Followers of Christ are to have an exceeding righteousness that involves and incorporates the whole person into singular righteousness. Those who are united to Christ by faith have that already. Amen? Those who have been united to Christ by faith have that already. Amen? When we're spending time in the Sermon on the Mount, the message of the Sermon on the Mount is not try harder, people of God, not do better, people of God. It's what we already have in Christ and we then go walk out. It's who we are. Those are united to Christ by faith already have whole person righteousness because we're wearing the alien righteousness of Christ. We can celebrate that right in the middle of this sermon. We have to. It's the fuel by which then we go be a generous people. It's the only way in the world that we will be a truly generous people. It is the means by which we become a generous people. He's both preacher of this message, herald, and he's the means by which we we actually do what he, he commands us to do in there. That's how we're different from this blessed and greedy people that we have a 1,500-year window into. From when the law was shared over there in Deuteronomy to the snapshot in Amos to the snapshot over there in Matthew chapter 20. They're a greedy and blessed people. We, on the other hand, are a blessed and righteous people, and then we go walk out who we already are in Christ. Man, that gospel celebration right in the middle of this sermon has to be something that we enjoy. It's the fuel for every single Sermon on the Mount message. The message of the Sermon on the Mount isn't try harder, do better. It's cling to the person of Christ and watch how he transforms you. Watch how he moves you in the world. Okay, so I have two applications. That's a little side note there, a good one. Gospel celebration right in the middle of a sermon. We need whole person transformation of head, heart, and eye, and we already have that fully and thoroughly in Christ. Amen? Two applications from this passage. First of all, I want to deal with the reality that money is neutral. I have two passages for you to turn to, and they're right next to each other. This is the last passage we're going to land the plane. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Money is neutral. I'll give you a second to turn there. First Timothy chapter 6. I know a lot of you using, using digital stuff, so we don't hear pages like we used to. First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money itself is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's neutral. But man, the love of it will make a mess of things. The love of it will make a mess of things. There's a guy that's mentioned a few times in the epistles in Paul's letters, a guy named Demas. He shows up in sort of these uh, little references to, hey, so-and-so said hi, so-and-so is rooting for you, so-and-so is here serving with me. And then over there, just a few pages over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this guy, Demas, shows up again, and it is a heartbreaking reference. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says this guy, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 
It's a passing statement, but it's a heartbreaking statement where this guy has shown up in the lists of people that are serving with Paul, that are serving the kingdom, but he fell back in love with the world. We've got to know the love of this, sto- this stuff will destroy people. And Demas is a great example. The problem is we can't abstain from this stuff. That would make it easy, wouldn't it? You can abstain from sugar, you can abstain from gluten, you can abstain from carbs, you can do all the things, abstain from all these things, keep them away from you, but you can't abstain from stuff. We all have to deal with money. We all have to deal with stuff in some way, and it messes people up. I saw a TED Talk this week, or part of a TED Talk, and and read the write-up on this TED Talk by this professor at University of California at Berkeley. His name is Paul Piff. He had 100 people sign up for a Monopoly game, strangers, a coin flip randomly assigned one person in each pair to be the rich player. They got twice as much money to start with, the rich player. Okay, at the monopoly. Twice as much money to start with. Collected twice the salary when they passed go. And they rolled both dice instead of one so they could move a lot farther. This professor used hidden cameras to watch the duos play for 15 minutes. Here's the results. The rich players move their pieces more loudly. You should pull up the TED Talk. It's fascinating. This guy that was just made rich moments earlier is moving his pieces around the board. And the other person's like, quiet. They displayed, the rich players displayed the type of enthusiastic gestures you see from a football player who just scored a touchdown. They showed a video of a guy going like this. Yes the rich player. They even ate more pretzels from a bowl sitting off to the side than the players who had been assigned to the poor condition. They ate more than the poor people. Money can mess some people up. This is a great little experiment. You need to watch this TED Talk. It's fascinating. The rich player's understanding of the situation that it was completely warped after the game talked about how they'd earned their success even though the game was blatantly rigged and their wins should have been seen as inevitable. This stuff, all stuff, money, mammon is what Jesus called it, is dangerous. Man, we've got to know it. I found, I read another uh, outcome from another study in 2010 uh, where they asked more than 300 upper and lower class participants to analyze, uh, if they could analyze their facial expressions of people in photos, and of strangers in mock interviews to discern their emotions. This is fascinating, but it's also heartbreaking. The people that were from upper classes, the rich people, were not able to read facial expressions as well as the lower class people. Let that hit you for a moment. Envision the guy moving the pieces around the Monopoly table louder. Envision the gestures Watch the guy and gal eating the pretzels, the rich person eating the pretzels, and consider the sad case that it's the lower case participants, the lower class people that didn't make the money that the upper class people made that were better able at reading faces. They exhibited, the poor people, more emotional intelligence than the people who were rich. Money can mess some people up, people of God. We've got to know this stuff is dangerous. It is neutral in and of itself, but how we relate to it 
is dangerous. It's not about how much you have. It's about how you relate to it, whether you love what you do have. How important is it to you? How much do you think about it? How does it influence your decisions and master your time? I have two applications for you, and they're so simple, but they're profound. Across the page in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember our teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Remember the simple prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Man, that's Jesus knowing the condition, obviously knowing the condition of man and knowing how prone we are to want more, give me more, to accrue, to hoard, to store up those things, those earthly treasures that daily we need to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing more, nothing less. It made me think of the words of Agur in Proverbs 30, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Don't give me so much that I forget you and don't give me so little that I curse you. Man, this stuff is dangerous, people of God. In and of itself, it's neutral. But what we do with it is dangerous. So pray daily, give us just what I need, Lord. Make me thankful for what you've given me. Keep my eyes from being fixated on that next thing, that N plus one. Teach me to be satisfied with what I have. The second thing is to be actively generous. The same page I had you on there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Look across the, the page to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, which are most of us. I did say that. Most of us. Really, frankly, all of us compared to the rest of the world. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Man, there's so much there, people of God. Don't be haughty. Man, you hear the Monopoly player moving those pieces, eating those pretzels, crunching those pretzels. The cows of Bashan, bring me the head of a pig and something cool and refreshing. A goblet of something cool and refreshing. Don't be haughty. Set your hope in God not in your stuff, not in your accounts. Do good. You know, the best defense against this notion of falling prey to stuff ruling you and mastering you is to have a great offense. And this is a great offense to actually do good, to be rich in good works, to be actively about the work of being generous and ready to share as you are blessing conditioned and redemption conditioned. I read a book uh, just before I started the Sermon on the Mount. This would be some years ago at this point, a couple of years. I don't know how long we've been. In this. Well, maybe a year ago. The book by Sinclair Ferguson, and he presented, um, it's, called a, it's about the Marrow Controversy. It was a controversy in Scotland in the 1800s about what is the marrow and the central teaching of the gospel. The, the title of the book is called The Whole Christ. It may have been one of the most important books I've ever read. It's not an easy read but it's a profoundly helpful book. And it was insightful into how I viewed God. 
and even how I might present God and how I might preach Christ. And it changed the way that I think about God altogether. And it also changed the way I think about his commands. And I want to offer this thought. When Jesus commanded Adam and Eve in the garden and said, don't eat from this tree right here, we often get focused on that one commandment, not realizing there was a commandment in front of it. The commandment in front of it was to enjoy a garden full of trees. And oh, by the way, stay away from that one. Enjoy a garden full of trees. And oh, by the way, stay away from that one. The best defense is a great offense. And I want to present the idea to you to consider as a people to be characterized with a soft, generous, gentle eye, ready to share with one another, ready to share with those in need. And in so doing, you're enjoying a garden full of trees. It will keep you away from that tree where you hoard and amass and are greedy and stingy. And you will find the blessedness that he promises here in the Sermon on the Mount as you are generous with one another and generous with those who have need. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for this simple teaching. Um, embarrassed to be the guy preaching it today as I am so focused on so many things. And I'm thankful that I, along with those who are in Christ, wear an alien righteousness so that you see us in the person and work of Christ. I'm so thankful we don't have to muster being a good boy. We don't have to somehow set our face like flint and grit our teeth and trying not to be, try not to be worldly and try not to be material. But I'm thankful that you've already given us the goods to walk out what you've called us to be. That you've already reckoned us that in the person and work of Christ. Lord, I pray that rather than make us lazy in these sorts of commands, they will mobilize us to enjoy a garden full of trees of being generous of being eager and active to share with those in need, even when it may mean we don't get paid back, even if it may mean that, we, uh, that it doesn't seem just or fair because we are so blessing-conditioned and redemption-conditioned. Lord, I'm thankful that we have all things in Christ, that we find the yes in Him. I pray that that would make for a people that are so um, soft-hearted, open-handed, and soft and generous-eyed that you would be glorified in it. I pray in these things in Christ's name. Amen.